Welcome to the Extra Innings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm Ryan Divish, your host of this semi-weekly foray into baseball, the Mariners, and whatever else I can think of talking about with guys I work with or friends of mine. Um, It's been a little bit of a break from podcasts, trying to get back into the rhythm of the season after the home opener and the the first road trip. So we're now uh, in the middle of the second road trip of the season. Uh, it's Sunday night uh, here in scenic San Francisco Airport Marriott, where I'm recording this. I did a phone call with Larry Stone earlier this evening to discuss the many roster moves that the Mariners made today, the slow start of the Mariners, uh, and Eric Thames, which I wrote about, or who I wrote about today, or in Sunday's uh, Times for my kind of national baseball notebook. Uh, just a little bit about Eric being the, one of the hottest hitters in baseball, his backstory, and that he was a Mariner for a brief period of time of about 40 games, I think, in 2012, and then went to spring training in 2013. The most Jack Z of trades, though. They they trade Steve Delabar, a, a nice story, a right-handed pitcher who actually had some success with the Blue Jays for Eric Thames, who at the time was an outfielder that really couldn't play outfield and a power-hitting prospect. I know that that's never happened under the Jack Zarenzik regime ever. Uh, so we'll discuss that. Uh, I think in the coming weeks or the coming days, we'll do one uh, a podcast on just some mailbox type of stuff. I'll answer some questions, try and get that out there. Larry and I discussed kind of the pertinent topics, the the DFA of Leonis Martin, the call-up of Dan Bogobach, what that means for kind of both aspects. Uh, we also discuss Taylor Motter, his playing time, how that's going to work. And then uh, I'm trying to think what else. We, we just had kind of random discussions. You know with Larry and I, it kind of just goes wherever it goes. So I appreciate you listening, and without further ado, we'll get to Larry Stone. Let's welcome in the venerable... I love saying it. The venerable columnist Larry Stone from the Seattle Times, who uh, was a very noble man today here on this Sunday, sending an email to uh, a guy that wants me fired, saying very nice things about me. So I appreciate that, Larry, for sticking up for me and not wanting me to get fired for, for not being a big enough Mariners fan, apparently. Well, I, I'm uh, I'm not above lying. To <laughs> no, no, I meant every word of it. Uh, yeah, this this fellow was upset because you weren't being positive positive enough and you weren't being enough of a fan, a guy who obviously does not understand the journalistic world where when you're a reporter, you're not a fan. And as I, as I said to him, that was a, that was actually a compliment to, to, for him to say you're not a fan. Yeah, it was after he told me that they, I should be covering golf and tennis and high school sports, but... You know, and then also he uh, he's still mad at me because I referred to it as a catcher's glove and not a mitt, and so uh, you know, I just <laughs> yeah, that may have been that may have been a distinction that was made in uh, 
you know, 50 years ago, but I think, I think now they're sort of interchangeable, interchangeable words. I, I think, I think you're safe on that one. Well, yeah, on Rawlings's site, they list it as a first baseman's glove or a catcher's glove mm-hmm. as well. Right. So it's not called the gold mitt awards. So I feel like I have some leeway here. So we'll... Exactly. I'm with you. I'm with you on this one. So it's Sunday night. I'm in the scenic airport Marriott in San Francisco. And Larry's... Been there many times. Many yes. Times. Yes. Um, Larry's Larry's back in, in scenic Bellevue where I'm sure it's raining, right? It's pouring. It's been <laughs> miserable. This has been such a de- depressing spring. <laughs> Uh, yeah. been, you 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 got to be in Arizona for most of it, and so you didn't quite understand the depth of the uh, of the misery that we're suffering here. But you know, every every year we say, I think every year we say this is the worst ever, but I think this is the worst. Ever. No, I mean I wasn't home for all of it, but it was the worst winter I've ever been a part of, and and the, the spring is a better. And I will say that my one off day, I went and watched your son play baseball, and it was miserable weather for much of that. I was frozen for frozen and drenched. So, it, the, the the high school baseball season has the regular season has one more week, and I'm not even exaggerating. We've had two games all year that were not played in a drizzle or cold or fog. <laughs> it's been just brutal. Um, two, you know, we're at the end of April and we're still fighting the weather. Yeah. And this upcoming week is supposed to be wet, wet, wet. So no, that's not, that's not good. All right. Well, the big news of the day is the, the roster moves. Um, Leonis Martin was designated for assignment. That was the main roster move. Call it, and they called up Dan Vogelbach. The other move with, with Chris Heston being called up for Chase DeYoung, I mean, that's just kind of a, a filler move. Uh, DeYoung threw four innings on Saturday. wasn't going to be available again for four, four days or so. So they brought up another long long relief arm just in case. And I think he's really kind of a placeholder until Steve Ciszek returns sometimes next week. So, Or I guess in the next couple of days. It is next week. Sunday night, um, Larry. When you when you heard about the Martine news, were you surprised? I was a little surprised, but but not shocked. I mean, when you're hitting 115, you know something's got to give. I wasn't sure if he had options left or what his situation was. Uh, you know, you wrote a you wrote a story earlier this week about when is it stop being too early to to make moves and how long do you give a player to, to find himself? And I think we got the answer. It's uh, that that period has ended for both Valencia. You know, the, the vocal back move is clearly uh, made with his, because of his inability to hit. And the Martin move is made because he's hitting 115 and you just can't, you can't have and you went with Zunino. You can't have uh, a third of your lineup just not hitting. So they had, they had to shake it up. You know, now you're you 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 DFA a guy, you're you're risking you're risking losing him. So, you know, they they have to sweat this out a little bit if they if they don't want to lose Martin. Uh, this was a guy that was uh, they liked enough to make their everyday center fielder for for the past year plus. So, uh, you know, he could end up being claimed by a team like Pittsburgh that lost Marte, Starling uh, Marte to the to the drug bust, and they need an outfielder so they could you know. They, they could they could take him or or, or another team so uh, that that was the only surprising element that they that, that they ended up risking losing the guy but they didn't need to make a move you know looks like Heredia is going to play pretty much every day although Modder may see some time out there in the outfield when when Segura comes back yeah it's I mean I was surprised 
Um, you know, obviously, I found we found out last night that Dan Vogelbach was coming up uh, once he once he was lifted from the game for a pinch hitter and he wasn't hurt. And then you know, I had a couple sources tell me he was being called up. You knew, and then we were kind of playing the roster game, who they were going to move out. Uh, I thought maybe they would just move out an extra pitcher because they've been carrying the extra pitcher and then go with that extra position player and continue to just kind of keep Martin on the bench and maybe use him against righties or whatever and see if he could come out of it. But I think, you know, they – and part of the reason I thought that was just because you've been around him and, and you've heard Scott talk about him. Scott Service loves Leonis Martin, is, yeah. you know, really a big fan of his and, and really championed how important he was to the team in terms of – chemistry and the clubhouse and the energy he brought to the game and stuff and you know i know that there are no empirical evidence about clubhouse chemistry or that kind of stuff and and i do believe that it can be romanticized but there is some value to it some validity to it i mean i i don't i always say this about chemistry it's not maybe as as valuable as some people make it out to be but it isn't something that's totally overlooked should be totally overlooked either so that's kind of why i was surprised about martin and because you know i mean he he is an asset in a lot of ways. He's still a quality defensive outfielder, and, and really Guillermo Redia, for all that he is, has yet to prove in anything. And also Gerard Dyson, you know, isn't the biggest guy in the world and has never been an everyday player. So I was kind of thinking, well, you know, maybe they would kind of try and hang on just out of worry. Um, but with Martin not having any minor league options, they just were kind of stuck, and that's what they had to do. I think right now, when you DFA Leonis Martin, he's basically owed what four point six five million off his four point eight five million dollar contract. That makes it tough for a team to claim him off of waivers. You really got to want it because one, it's expensive, and two, he is hitting like one eleven with a sub four hundred OPS, and that that is an issue. Yeah, I have to wonder what, how it, uh, how much. The, the the ball that went through his legs either Friday uh, Friday or Saturday I can't remember which day it was or maybe even Thursday uh, how much that factored in you know I, to me that was like a sign that he was letting his hitting get to his defense that was just a routine single that just went right through his legs uh, and you know I wonder if that was kind of a final straw kind of kind of thing yeah it's a very possible yeah because. I mean, if you're hitting 111, you better you better make up for it with your defense. And if that starts to to go, then then you really don't have anything left to, left to offer. Um, yeah, the, the money is definitely going to be a deterrent, and I'm sure that's why they felt it was a, a risk worth taking. You know, uh, I think in the best case scenario, he'll clear waivers. No one will want to take the contract. He'll go to Tacoma, find his stroke, and be back up. But of course, now you got to clear a forty man. He's a forty man space. He's not on the forty man roster anymore to to get him back back up to the major leagues. But but you know you can do that. Uh, so I I would not be shocked if uh, if we see Leonis Martin back in back in Seattle again this year. But you know a guy like Heredia, he could he could he now has a chance to solidify and claim that job. You still got Ben Gamble who I checked his stats today. He's hitting. About 280 at Tacoma, but he only has two extra base hits, so there's really not much production right now. Uh, so you know, there's just there's not that many there's not that many options. Uh, uh, Moder is going to be back right on Tuesday, right? So yes. Moder's got a got, so Moder is a is a, a kind of a secret weapon. He can go out to the outfield. He can play first. Uh, if Valencia can, continues to struggle, he could 
he could play all over the diamond. They, uh, you figure that, that he's going to factor in as well. Um, you know, you you, were, you said you were trying to handicap what move they were going to make. I kind of was wondering if, if uh, Freeman would would just be the guy. It would be an easy move to send to send him back down, but. He survives. He's probably going back down on Tuesday. Oh yeah, they notified him after they they notified him after the game tonight. He's going back out. So he, yeah, yeah. Right. How long uh, do you think they're going to carry the eight pitchers? That just seems like a uh, you know it seems like at some point you'd want that depth on the on the bench uh, rather than in the bullpen. But obviously they they want that extra arm out there. Yeah, I, I think until they trust Giovanni Gallardo and Hasashi Iwakuma a little bit more. They might not do that. I mean, it could be here soon. You know, it just depends. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I think the thinking is, and it's not because they feel like they totally need that extra arm, but I don't know that they always feel like they need a bench guy because so many guys play all the time, you know, yeah. and, and that's probably a reason why. Um, so maybe. Uh, as far as the Valencia thing or the Vogelbach call-up, you and I saw him play this spring. You were there when he was pretty good, actually, and hitting pretty well. Uh, yeah. I was there when it, it kind of fell off of a cliff. Um, we, we've talked about this before on previous podcasts. I mean, if, if you're Vogelbach and you already are not very good defensively, you better hit. And he didn't do that. And, and in talking to him, he admitted it today. And now he gets called up. The one thing that I think it's similar, and when you mentioned the Martin letting the ball go between his legs... I don't know if we mentioned this before, but right before Vogelbach was sent down in the spring, there were two plays at home, uh, two throws to home from center field from Martin once, and I think Dyson once. And Vogelbach, as the first baseman, was the cutoff man. And both times he was really late getting there. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you see Vogelbach in this like mad sprint as fast as he can, running across the diamond, trying to catch this ball that's coming in. And both times he did. And it was so similar, you know, because he does look like Chris Farley. It was so similar to the beginning of Tommy Boy when like he's running to go make up for his test, you know, make go get his test. <laughs> that's all I can think of. And but I think that but like Martin, maybe that might have been the final straw that like look. We realize you're not hitting and you're supposed to. We know you're not good defensively, but this is a fundamental responsibility that you need to do, and you're you're not there. And so it's time to, to rethink this. So I, I'm curious to see how, more than anything, Danny Valencia reacts to this. I don't know if Dan Vogelbach's going to be good or not as a hitter. I, you know, there are signs that he might be. He had a hit today. He also struck out. What kind of bad doing it? I mean, I, I think he's going to be kind of, you know, just – decent but valencia was so bad that they had no choice yeah. and um i'm curious to see how he handles this because this is a contract year for danny valencia uh he's gonna be a free agent he was given a chance to be a full-time guy something he wanted and i mean basically fell on his face and you know he doesn't have the best reputation as a clubhouse guy do you wonder whether or not that could lead to issues down the road yeah, I do wonder, but I think this is a different case than in the past where I think he may have had a gripe about, hey, I'm producing and I'm still not playing. Uh, as you said, he was handed this job. He's had 20 games. You know, that's a that's an eighth of the season and uh, hasn't done anything. So he has no one to blame but himself, if he's being honest. I mean, he, uh, you know, that I've certainly over the years seen players who, who just won't ever admit that it's their fault and like to, you know, always have to find somebody to blame. And 
maybe that's his personality. I, I don't know. But I think in this case, if he's smart, he'll realize that it's on him and he's got to, he's got to get out of it himself because he'll get more chances. It's not like he's going to be buried forever. You know, uh, maybe it's a strict platoon and he starts to hit and, and then he gets, he can earn more playing time that way or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's absolutely worth watching to see how he reacts. I've, you know, I've been impressed with the guy. I haven't seen any signs of any sort of, uh, uh, you know, bad character or anything like that, but he hasn't faced adversity yet for the Mariners and now he is. So, so I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I, I, I think there are more than a few people associated with the A's that weren't displeased to see that, uh, Vogel or that, uh, Valencia got basically lost his spot today and he must not have had a great run here in Oakland, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's how you react. He will probably play against lefties. Um, I, I that is unless Taylor Potter plays instead, but you know, yeah. it's, it's how do you handle being a pro? And, and I think Danny was cognizant of kind of the reputation he had a little bit, uh, about being, you know, kind of a problem. I mean, he had, he'd been on seven teams in six years, I think it was. And, and, you know, I think he knew that and going into a free agent year, he was trying to look to maybe rehab that image and, and then the chance to play every day was going to help that. And it just hasn't worked. I mean, he's looked lost against right-handers, uh, especially on breaking pitches, uh, you know, and maybe he gets going against lefties, maybe he doesn't, but It'll be interesting to see how he he, he kind of handles it. You remember Miguel Olivo when he never played? How miserable he was when he he <laughs> and he was awful. He deserved to lose his starting job almost every time he did, but oh, he was awful to be around. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know Jose Diaz. Oh guy yeah. Guy I mean, he played pretty much when he was with the Mariners, so that they never really faced that. But uh, you know, everywhere else he went in his career, when he didn't play, he. I mean, he he was a very divisive character. You know, in Oakland, he or excuse me, in Anaheim, he was suspended for the playoffs. Yeah, you know, he was one of their best hitters, and and Socia was just so fed up with the way he reacted to being pinch hit for, I believe, uh, through a tantrum that he just took him off the roster. <laughs> that guy was like getting, you know, close to three hundred uh, with with you know twenty five, thirty homers. So, uh, you know, there are there are cases i don't think Valencia's is that kind of guy but uh he has he, there's a reason he moves from team to team and uh you know he had that fight with uh, billy butler last year in oakland I, I think a lot of people on oakland sided with Valencia on that one but uh um you know I, I, it'll be interesting to see how the playing time goes now and uh you know how long they stick with Valencia. You know, if they if they TFA Marti, who's to say that they might not do the same thing uh, with with Valencia at some point? No, I, I I can definitely see them doing that down the road. It was funny. I don't know if you were there when we were at home. I wrote that story about whether it's a slow start or a problem. Service said thirty games, and they made it twenty. And I think obviously the record, uh, the slow start, what they did on the first three games of this road trip, you know, kind of expedited the whole situation, but. I mean, we we talked about it before. Even with uh, the the nice little end of that homestand, we could see that you know this wasn't working the way they had planned, and that changes could be coming if if it didn't right. Yeah, you know the the the, the it's early uh, response only lasts so long. You know, Houston is Houston is 
12 and 6, 13 and 6, something like that. Uh, you know, they're putting distance already on the on the Mariners and the rest of the division. You can't let them get too far ahead. Uh, you know, you want you went into this year thinking you could win this division, and you still can. But um, you know, some people would call it a panic move. Uh, I don't think it's a panic move when you when you <laughs> send out a guy who's hitting 111. I think it's a pragmatic move. And they needed to, to a little bit of a spark, uh, a little bit of a shakeup, I think, before things got too far, too far out of hand. So, you know, I, I, I think I, I think it was a good thing to, to, to move those guys out, let them regroup, get some new blood in there and see if, see if that can, uh, can change the dynamic. You know, they're actually scoring runs at a pretty good clip now mm-hmm. uh, since the first first week of the season when they started off when their bats were just completely uh, putrid since then I, you know I bet they've scored uh, one piece you know top three in the American League if you throw out the first week but you, you see how much better it could be if you had production throughout the lineup uh, you know Hanniger's been kind of carrying them and now the now the big boys in the middle are starting to wake up a little bit now you need to get those guys on the bottom of the order going yeah, got to ask you. Doesn't this Leonis Martin change your swing in the off season? Remind you that your Ackley changed his whole swing after he had like a decent year. I think it was maybe his first year in the big leagues, and he came back and remember he had that kind of goofy thing he would do yeah. with his hands, and 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 then was never the same. No, you know uh, Dustin Ackley. Uh, you know, I, I really liked the guy. I still like the guy, and I root for him. But I think he was his own worst enemy. I think he just overthought things and and let things get in his head. And uh, you know, he had one bad year, and I think he overreacted. And when when he, I remember you and I seeing that new swing that he unveiled and saying, "What is that? It just looks it looked bad. It looked wrong." Yeah, I believe. I believe I added some colorful adjectives uh, of yeah. the four letter kind before I, when we we saw that. It looked yeah, like a slow pitch exactly. softball swing, like you know how he would put his hands and load them and all that stuff. It was, it was, yeah. and really, I think the year he did that, the year before, I mean, he wasn't horrible the year before. He just wasn't as good as he wanted to be. Obviously, that first year he came in, he was outstanding, and that last half of the season or whatever. But I think the next year it was okay, but it was, and it just got progressively worse because he could never remember who he was. And I remember uh, Eric Wedge. Do you remember that when they benched Ackley that day mm-hmm. and they told him to fix it? And I guess Ackley just stayed with, I don't know if it was Chris Chambliss or who the hitting coach was at the time, and basically stayed there to like at Safeco to like three in the morning trying to retool his swing and go back to the way it was before. Yeah, and there was, he had flashes of sort of being the guy they thought when they drafted him number two overall. But, uh, you know, it just he he never really has been able to regain what he had after that call up in the middle of that year. Where he, you know, I remember him getting a hit off Cole Hamill, lefty on lefty. Yeah, it was like a triple, wasn't you know, it? One, you know, triple was one of his first three or four games in the major leagues. I was actually sitting in the stands with my family. I remember it vividly, and uh, you know, he was hitting tough lefties. You know, his on base percentage was high. And, you know, it looked like he was just the guy that they thought he was going to be. And, you know, yeah, I think they opened the next year in Japan. And I I remember sitting up at three in the morning. I stayed up to watch that game because of the time difference. 
and I think his first at bat, he got. He might have had a home run, but it, it, maybe it was a maybe it was a double or I remember he got a hit his first time up and I, I was on a uh, Twitter thread and everyone was saying, Oh, it's, this is, he's going to be sensational this year. And it, you know, <laughs> it, it just, it, it just never happened. And, and now he's fighting for his job, fighting for his major league life. I'm not even sure. I know he's with the angels, but he's in Salt know, Lake city. Injury rehab. Okay. Yeah. He's so he's in triple a and you know, it's pretty clear he's never going to be a a star or probably even a starter again. I think the best he could be is a, is a utility guy. Yeah, it's it's and so you, you know you fast forward to this year. I mean, Leos Martin wasn't great last year in terms of like offense. I mean, his on base percentage wasn't great, and he struck out a lot. I mean, but he did hit more home runs than he'd ever have in his career. You know, he, there were stretches where he looked pretty capable, and he goes in this off season. You know, at the behest of Robinson Cano, I might add. He goes down to the Dominican Republic. He, he he goes and spends a week there and works out with with Robinson Cano and Gene Segura and a guy named Jose Mercedes, who is basically responsible for retooling Gene Segura's swing and working with Robbie's swing, and uh, also, um, gosh, I'm trying to think who are the other guys. One of the guys, uh, who's the guy, the left fielder from Miami? We just saw uh, Ozuna. Oh, yeah, Marcelo Zuna, and then there's another guy. And so, you know, Leonis makes these changes where he lowers his hands, and, you know, it, it's not as it's similar to, to Segura and how he does it, which is still amazing when Segura does it, considering how low they are. But, you know, you, you ask all the reasons why, and, and the Mariners understood it, but it just never worked. He never got comfortable. He was always, you know late or you know never got his front foot down all these things were off he could never get his timing with it and now you know and it started in spring and it carried in the season and they asked him to switch back when we were in anaheim uh and he did and it looked a little bit better but by then it, it was just too far gone like he didn't know who he was it was similar to zanino a couple years ago everybody's telling you different things and you try all these different things, and then you can't even remember what was right the first time. I I, I wonder if Martin regrets this. Yeah, yeah. You you just it's something you see you see often. You tinker, you over tinker when, you know, sometimes it's, even if it doesn't look pretty, if it's comfortable to you and it works, just stick with it. But I I think a lot of times, you know, uh, hitting gurus and stuff, they, they try to, they have to justify their existence. So they want to make changes and tinker. And, and then you, you lose, as you were saying, you lose what you had. And then when you try to get it back, it's, it's really difficult to do in the middle of the season. And think of all the time that they squandered in spring training, working on this, you know, this approach that, that didn't work for him and that he had to abandon. And, and he, Instead of having exhibition games to find yourself, you have to do it in the middle of a major league season. And and I really thought that Martin started to press uh, after the Houston series when he got off to such a, a slow start. He was desperate to get a couple of hits, and and then you start putting pressure on yourself, and you could just see it in his face uh, that he was tense, and it's hard to play that way. Uh, yeah. Totally. You know, it's 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 really important, I think, for these guys to 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 get a to just get the season off with a couple of two hit games so you can get into the flow of things without suddenly being one for eleven and now you're now you're desperate to, to get that average up 
and start the season, you know, certainly guys overcome that kind of stuff, but some guys end up letting it get, get in their head a little bit. And it seemed that was the case with him. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he never had a basis of true success to work from either to, to say, well, yeah, I've done this before. And it, and it does happen. I, I think it, it may have gotten in Valencia's head this year. Uh, Scott Service talked to, off with us several times about how it affected Adam Lynn last year, that Adam Lynn was in a contract year. It was big money year for him. And he started off slow, got he got really frustrated by how much they were shifting him, and then it just got in his head, and he couldn't produce. And you know, you wonder if that got with Martin and with Valencia. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they, maybe the Mariners were destined to fail by playing Valencia as much as they did against right-handers. But he, you know, his splits for the last two years were not awful against right-handers. So it's it's a it's an interesting situation. Now, and that gets us to the modder question. Uh, the guy that you wrote the whole. Well, I was going back in your story. I remember you didn't actually get to talk to Modder for your hair story, did you? You got everybody else but him because he was kind of a guy. Yeah, I can't remember why. I think he might have been hurt. Oh, yeah, day. that's right. He, he had the back issues. Yeah, and it was the day the story was. I had to get it in, and I had waited. I, I talked to a bunch of other guys, and I go, oh, I'll get him on Wednesday or whatever it was. And then I go, and oh, it was that day, the day the story was due. And he's nowhere to be found. So I had to write it without him. I think Bob Tendota did a nice story where he did talk to him. But, uh, you know, I think his uh, his hair flip is becoming a thing now after the home run. Uh, you know, Cano seems to, to love it. And, you know, watching on TV, since I'm not there on this road trip, uh, it, it looks like he's almost demanding that he does it. He's hit a couple. So uh, that's kind of a fun deal. But, uh, I mean, his power shocks me, to be honest. He's got 11 extra base hits. That's got to be close to the top 10 in the American League, I would think. I think he's got six doubles and five homers. Uh, you know, that's that's amazing for a utility infielder, which is what he, you know, was advertised as. But when he gets the ball in his zone, he just attacks it and crushes it. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to wonder if teams are going to realize what his zone is and stay away from it. But for now, he's he's hunting the fastball in, right? Yeah, oh. and just jumping all over it. Yeah, I mean, he hit the one home run off a hanging slider. I mean, it was a bad hanging slider. It was still right over the middle half part, you know. But the inner half fastball, and let's not kid ourselves. When this guy swings, he's coming out of his shoes too. He's not looking just to yeah. hit it. He's looking to punish it. And you know, and you see guys go on streaks like this. But he is also showing a pretty good sense of having an approach and getting himself into fastball counts as well and i think that's probably been pretty big for him yeah you know his average uh, had dropped to about 240 and i was thinking okay this is he's finally coming back down to earth but then he mixes in an extra base hit here and there and then today with this the, the slam and the, and the double uh his ops is in the 900s and that's elite level you know, never mind the batting average. Just he's slugging over 600. He might be slugging over 700. I didn't check after today, but uh, you know, it's a it's a small sample size, sure. But uh, without Segura, I mean, he's been a godsend. You 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 could never have dreamed that you'd get that kind of production from the shortstop position for the for the time that, that Segura has been gone. They haven't missed a beat. And it is kind of interesting to think of, you know, Segura was red hot when he got hurt. And if he could uh, re- 
return to that form, and suddenly you uh, zobrist, to use zobrist as a verb, you zobrist uh, <laughs> moder around the uh, the diamond, you know, left field one day, third base one day, first base, a starter two at shortstop, you know, even second base if you want to give Robbie a day. Um, and you could get him his at-bats and get his production in the lineup with Segura's, uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty good prospect for the Mariners. I'm going to steal that unless you're planning to use it in a column. No, it's your right. I I I bequeath it to you. Okay, I just yeah. Right, I, so we have the record. We have it on the record here in the podcast. That oh, was okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I do feel like Moder has achieved like cult hero status like Deho last year because of the hair flips and because of the power and and, and really you know wasn't much expected of him, uh, and so there isn't always rational thought when it comes to kind of the cult hero or the new fan favorite. But I, I do think that they have to find a way to play him. I mean, he's swinging the bat too well not to. And you know what? I mean, if you've already decided that Danny Valencia isn't going to play that much, then you can play Modder at first base instead of Valencia, especially if he's swinging this way. I just don't see how you cannot have him in the lineup most days just because it, it, it doesn't matter right or left. It just matters if he's getting fastballs because he's going to hit it. And, I mean, you can use him in left field. You can use him in right field, although the guy in right field's kind of good. He's been pretty good. But <laughs> you can, you, you're right. You can find ways to mix him in. And, and I do think that they won't play. They are going to give Segura a couple a day off after maybe every two just because, you know, they want to keep that hamstring healthy. So I think it would be wise. You ride this out until – you know, you don't get anything anymore because I, I, I talked to several scouts that say he's going to get overexposed, this and that. I talked to a couple that think that maybe he's figured some things out, but I do think that at some point, and, and you may see this when we, when they face the Tigers, because there's actually some pretty good pitching that they're going to see a guy named Verlander and a guy named Jordan Zimmerman who maybe be able to execute a little bit better and, and pitch him away. You know, today, in the situation where he hit the grand slam, his base is loaded. The guy had already walked in a run. He falls. He throws a first pitch breaking ball to Motter. Falls behind. You know, misses with it. So it's one and zero. You know, he doesn't want to get to two and zero. So he's going to try and sneak a fastball in on one and zero and try and you know at least even the count. And he threw it in the absolute worst spot. I mean, it was that ball was crushed. Yeah. No, he's he's not missing many mistakes. And you do. You have to. Uh, you have to ride it out, and it probably will. Uh, you know, he will. Uh, the, the league will figure some things out, and he'll slow down. But while he's got the hot hand now, if you play him three or four times a week, that's probably enough. Uh, and if he, you know, if he warrants more time, you you give him that as well. But the the beauty of Modder is he truly can play all those positions. He's he's proficient in the middle infield he could play the corner and he could play the, the corner outfield spots i don't know if he could play center probably not but uh uh you know that's there everyone talks about getting a zobrist but it's hard to find that that kind of guy and mm -hmm. the mariners may actually have one here and uh, you know it's, uh, between hanniger and modder uh, those are a couple of pretty good pickups in the offseason by by Jerry DePoto. Not everything he's done has worked out, but uh, that the those are certainly looking good. Yeah, your uh, your son is a Jersey guy. Is he going to get a Mitch Hanniger jersey now, or what? I think he will. Uh, he's he's very loyal to Brad Miller. He's 
is a favorite player and will probably always be. So uh, he wants me to find he wants me to find him a Brad a Tampa Bay Brad Miller, which I I was in Tampa Bay with the Seahawks last year, and I went to several team shops there in uh, in uh, St. Pete, and they did not have any Brad Miller, so I ended up getting him a Kevin Kiermaier. But uh, oh yeah, that 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 was uh, he he liked it, but he still wants my a Brad Miller. So I got. Miller one, and then maybe Hanniger. Yeah, well, they're, they're, I heard they're going to have jerseys for Hanniger and Modern, some other guys in the team shop. So Hanniger just yeah. unreal. I mean, unreal what numbers he's putting up right now. Yeah, he's uh, you know along with the guy in uh, in Boston, he's got to be uh, front runner right now for for rookie of the year. And, I mean, he's playing at an all star caliber. Forget about just rookie. Uh, and he's been one of the best hitters in the American League, uh, flat out in the first. Are we are we at three weeks now? I think we are. First three weeks of the season, um, and it, it's it looks like it's uh, you know he's probably not going to keep those numbers, but he looks for real to me. He's a he's a he's athletic. He's got a great eye at the plate, uh, and as you know, you, as you said to, to Scott Skervis, and Skervis has kind of picked up on it. He just doesn't give up at bat. And that's, and that you don't see that that often from a guy of his experience level, which is not very much, but, um, you know, there's a lot to like there. Yeah. He, so here's a funny story. We'll do it real quick. Cause I know you got to get going, but so I'm, I'm on the, they have the A's pregame show. They, they bring on an opposing writer. So they had me on, on Thursday night. And um, so I'm in there, and you're you're in an earpiece, and you can hear the show. And leading into it, they're they're talking about Hanniger. Well, they have as their two analysts on the pregame show, Shooty Babbitt and Dave Stewart, the former GM of the uh, of the the Diamondbacks. So Stu's talking about mm-hmm. Hanniger and saying how much he loved Hanniger and how great of how they always knew he was going to be good. And you know, under Stewart is when Hanniger asked to go from double A to high A because he wasn't playing very much in double A and he needed to get some at bats because he wanted to retool his swing. And you know, so Stu's just, you know, talking about what a great kid he is and the work ethic and everything else. And, and then he kind of says, well, you know, and he goes, he goes, I just don't know how the the Mariners were able to get him as part of that Segura deal. I mean, it, it just seems like that the, the current regime of the Diamondbacks didn't really understand their personnel and just threw this guy in there as a throw-in. <laughs> <laughs> so he just threw some shade right at at the uh, the Diamondbacks at his former employer. It was kind of funny. And it's it's Stewart. You know how he does it. And and yeah, uh, I covered Stewart. I covered Stewart as a player, and he's one of the favorite my favorite guys I've ever covered in my in my career. I mean, brutally honest as a player, he was. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's taken so much heat as, as for his tenure as a GM. You know, trade the Shelby Miller trade was a disaster with Darby Swanson and and Ciarte, and and you know some other some other moves. So I think I think uh, he took a little pleasure in not being the guy that traded Mechanicers, <laughs> and uh, you know you can't pin that one on him. So. Uh, you know, I, I can understand a little, uh, uh, you know, rubbing it back in their faces because he took a lot of he took a lot of heat as the, as the GM of the uh, of the Diamondbacks. So this is one that he could he could gloat about a little bit. All right, quickly, since Eric Thames is the hottest hitter in baseball, or one of the hottest hitters, and I wrote my Sunday's notebook about him. Do you got any Eric Thames memories? 
the river Thames. <laughs> it's the river. Uh, I my memory of him is just that I always thought that he he was more interested in bodybuilding than in playing baseball. I mean, he was sculpted. He looked uh, over over muscled, in my opinion, at the time. I thought that's why I, I chuckled when. Uh, I think it was John Lackey of the Cubs made insinuations that he's uh, roided up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know that's the only reason that he's now tearing up the league, and who knows? But uh, you know he looked like that when he wasn't hitting. <laughs> he looked like that when he was hitting two thirty. I, I, you know, he, he doesn't look much different to me than he did back then. Maybe a little bulkier, I guess. But uh, you know, but I guess my other memory is on the uh, perfect game field perfect game there was only really one tough play it was the very first the very first batter uh and for tampa bay and he ran down a drive and caught it and um you know so he's a he's the trivia question who played right field in felix's perfect game it was eric thames and uh, there's not much else that stands out from his brief time in uh, in seattle that cost him steve delabar um, who went on to, I think, make an all-star team for the for the Blue Jays. Yeah, he kind of washed after, out. After but he did wash out, yeah, but he did make an all-star team. Yeah, I liked um, Thames. Um, he was an immense human being. I mean, he really was just large, just like he was built like an NFL strong safety. And um, I remember him talking the next year after the Mariners got him that he tried to get a little leaner uh, and not lift his bulky upper body because he felt like he was getting too big. Uh, It doesn't seem like that. I mean, my goodness. But what I did like about him, you know, he was – he went to Pepperdine, and he he was really just kind of intellectually curious. You know, you look at this guy, this massive guy that's all sculpted, and, and he read everything, and he had all these other interests outside of baseball, and he was always reading. We always kind of joke because where his locker was down there was kind of by, you know, it was that whole area kind of by Ackley, and there was like two guys that mm-hmm. read, bo- read books without pictures, and, you know, that was kind of the funny <laughs> thing, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a great guy to talk to. Oh no, he was really interesting. I mean, I really yeah. liked just being around in the clubhouse. But yeah. I got to be honest, I didn't think he was ever going to have a baseball career. And when he went off to Korea, I sort of thought, okay, you know, he's going to make a little bit of money. Uh, and then, then he had three sensational years over there. Each one kind of better than the other. He was a super duper star. Yeah, he, he wrote. They called him his. He, he, he think it was God. Yeah, they called him right? God. <laughs> you know who else? Had, you know who else was called God? Matt Weeders, wasn't he? Well, uh, even farther back than that is uh, Doug Harvey, the umpire. That was, that was his nickname. God, um, a way to skew ancient I there, Larry. Why, I don't know why I know that. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, I'm. Just, what it reminds me of more than anything is Cecil Fielder who, uh, you know, was a washout with the Blue Jays. Um, and then he went to Japan, hit a lot of home runs, uh, enough to attract the attention of the, of the Tigers. But there was a lot of skepticism when he came back. And he ended up hitting 50-plus 50, 50 home runs his first year with the Tigers and had a really, really good career after that. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of teams tried to find the next Cecil Fielder after that. Yeah, I don't know if you remember a guy named Oreste Destrade. Oh, yes. Um, with the Marlins, he's in, he went over to Japan, tore up the Japan leagues, and was uh, was signed by the Marlins. I remember I was in a 
uh, there was a bunch of sports writers. This was before fantasy leagues got popular, but we had something called the Pumpatorium, and it was only home runs. We'd, we'd have this huge drunken uh, draft at the end of spring training, and just we'd, we'd all draft a team of 20 players, and it was purely home runs. And I, I took a rest day to Strade in like the second round. I thought I, thought I was going to steal this guy who's going to be the next Bethel fielder. Oh, and nice. He like 11, I think he hit 11 home runs that year. So uh, <laughs> he, he, he was a, uh, a, a guy that went over and, and, and didn't pan out. But right now, uh, it, the Brewers are looking like geniuses for signing this guy. Oh, I'm sure there'll be some aggression, but yeah, maybe he, I, I read a lot of stuff about this. It was kind of interesting, you know, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has obviously a lot of good stuff in there, and then Bob Nightingale wrote a nice story on him, and he talked about, Thames talked about learning the strike zone, and just because there was no, there wasn't very many, you know, most of the guys in Korea never throw above 91, so that everybody relies on breaking stuff, and because nobody really throws anything that crisp, he had to learn what really was a strike and what wasn't. Because he was a total hacker when he was with the Mariners. And I just remember, it was amazing to me, too. Like, Eric Wedge used to just grouse about how poor things was defensively. But then the next right. year, he was playing Raul Abanez in right field. So I, I was like, yeah, you can grouse all you want, but it's not. Um, but, yeah, and other than that, you know, maybe maybe Vladimir Ballantin will be the next guy to come back from the yeah. Asian Rim League and, and be good. Uh, he, sure looked, he sure looked good in the WBC. Um, you know, it's kind of sad, though, Ryan. Uh, anytime you have a guy break out like that nowadays, immediately the specter of steroids comes up. You know, Joey Bats being a prime example. Yeah. The guy who's a journeyman a journeyman throughout his career, and all of a sudden he's hitting 45 homers out of nowhere for the Blue Jays, and everyone was kind of whispering, oh, he's, you know, he's got to be juiced. And you're not allowed anymore to, to break out. You know, uh, back in the 70s, Davey Johnson went to Atlanta and hit 40 home runs. In, in I think '72 or '73, yes, I'm skewing old again. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the future manager of the Mets, the, the year they won the World Series and all that. But uh, uh, no one, no one thought it was steroids. He, he went from like 15 to 40 home runs and never approached that again. Now, if a guy did that, it would, you know, he'd have to be juiced. That's the only thing. So that, but that's what uh, that's what they brought upon themselves by. The, the steroids generation, and and that's what Thames is going to face. It's already it's already happening. You know, the, the couple couple of couple of Cubs players were insinuating that that something was going on with him. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, we'll end it with this. The Mariners have six games on this road trip remaining: three in Detroit, three in Cleveland. Boy, this is a great road trip: Oakland, Detroit, Cleveland. Let me tell you, <laughs> some small star cities there. What are the record going to be over those six games? Well, you know, Cleveland is so darn good. Uh, I'm going to say three and three. Uh, they'll take two out of three in Detroit. They'll lose two out of three in Cleveland. And that would be a uh, four and six road trip, right? Uh, if they did that. Four. Right, my math right. No, yeah. it would be a four and uh, nine road trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that wouldn't be so good. But I guess it would finish. Four and nine. This isn't a thirteen-game road trip. I don't know. Don't make me do math. <laughs> My goodness. They're one and three, and they go three and three, so that would be four and seven. Yeah. Right. Four and seven if they go three and three. <laughs> so, 
So no, wait, uh, four and seven. That's eleven. They're only there's. They have an off day tomorrow. They played four in Oakland. Figure it out. They played four in Oakland and three in Detroit and three in Cleveland. How many is that, Larry? Ten. <laughs> so they're one and three and three and three, four and six. Okay, four and six. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was a few tries. <laughs> that was that was a uh, that was pretty amazing there. Can you edit that? Can you edit that a little bit so that <laughs> people don't have to hear that? <laughs> Not a chance in the world. All right, I appreciate you doing this, man. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. for listening to this week's podcast big thanks to larry stone for coming on on sunday night and talking with us for about 45 minutes um thanks to midnight salvage company the official house band of the extra innings podcast they provide the lead in music for all the segments and if you were to want to have your band on here feel free to email me and we'll put that on uh, if you want to contact me legitimately about anything my Email address is rdivish at seattletimes.com, and you can also hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Divish, and hopefully we will talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.